One of my biggest kicks is just going out to eat or going to movies, you know, and doing things I couldn't do when I was, you know, in the middle of the Beatles stuff. And I really get off on that. And people occasionally people ask for autograph or just want to shake hands is the coolest one that happens, which is cool with me. And uh, I'm just known enough to keep my ego floating, but unknown enough to get around, which is nice. Okay. I've been a follower of you for a long time. Thank you. Thank you. This is the CBS the Evening News with Walter Cronkite. So the Good evening. Has the death of a man who sang and played the guitar overshadows the news from Poland around in Washington tonight. Former Beatle John Lennon, who was 40, was shot and killed last night outside his luxury apartment in New York. The alleged killer is an unemployed security guard. I don't care what's on the line, Howard. You have got to say what we know in the booth. Yes, we have to say it. Remember, this is just a football game, no matter who wins or loses. An unspeakable tragedy confirmed to us by ABC News in New York City. John Lennon, outside of his apartment building on the west side of New York City, the most famous, perhaps, of all of the Beatles, shot twice in the back, rushed to Roosevelt Hospital, dead on arrival. Hard and printer who had lived in Hawaii. News of Lennon's death touched off a wave of shock and mourning around the world. You know, people said someone had been shot and was inside the first gate of the Dakota going into the courtyard, and apparently uh, uh, John Lennon had been shot. And within two minutes of the time I got there, they brought if out he Lennon. Would, having not been in the studio for five years, have his act together or not? As far as all that went, he was totally together from the moment he picked his guitar up and said, right, here's a song. Let's start with this one. He's a chance. Well, if the least we can do is give somebody a laugh, we're willing to be the one. He felt that, well, we're on the same page with New Yorkers, and we were New Yorkers in our heads, you know. ostensible reason for being interested in this is they're supposed to protect the president at the Republican National Convention and these people are talking about protest demonstrations. The same people who caused all those problems in Chicago in 68 and now they're talking about doing it again but with John Lennon in the front. So they've got to be stopped. Of course John wouldn't do it in the way that Jerry and Abby wanted to do things. Hello. Uh, this is the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. So, 
I've often told people when they ask how old I am, keep in mind, this is not about me. I tell them, well, I was two days old when John Lennon was shot, which is true. I was born in December 6th. He was shot on December 8th, 1980. Disturbing. Even still to this day, there are so many documentaries on the murder of John Lennon. They really say that was the day that music died. I mean, the first time was, you know, Big Bopper and Richie Valens and um, Buddy Holly were killed in that plane crash in 1959. And then again on December 8th, 1980, John Lennon had just staged a comeback. He hadn't performed in five years. He had taken time off to raise his new son, Sean, to maintain his residence in the Kato uh in the Dakota building with his wife, uh, Yoko Ono, in New York City. He had immigrated to New York. He became an American citizen and because, you know, the Nixon government tried to kick him out, so tried to deport him. But it really also was the... Any hope that the Beatles would ever reunite was gone. And it was gone on that night of December 8th. 1980 and mark david chapman was the gentleman who murdered john lennon um he shot him in the back which is a very cowardly thing to do to this day yoko ono always is there or sends a representative I th to maintain that he will never get paroled for what he did and that's saying something right there. And she's maintained that for 42 years. Huh. It's, it's, it's a very heavy thing. There are so many films about the Beatles. There are so many what-ifs. This was the biggest band in the world. And that moment on December 8th, 1980, changed... Not just the Beatles, but the legend of the Beatles forever. And on December 8th, um, many flocked to the Imagine um, Memorial in uh, New York City, Central Park. I, of course, have never been there. I would like to go there one day. But John Lennon, John Lennon was a, a character. He could be problematic at times. He could be entertaining. It was no doubt that him and Paul McCartney really led the Beatles into the stratosphere that we all know. From the film A Hard Day's Night to Help to Yellow Submarine <laughs> to Magical Mystery Tour. Yeah. But the whole legend of John Lennon really started on that night, 1980. Now, there is a very famous photo of John and Yoko. And it has become the Piartar of our time. Piartar, or the Piartar. I I can't even say it. I'm so tired. Which is you know Mary holding Jesus and all that. And um, here we go. Yeah. 
my parents being proud of me. They, they felt it was great that I had come as far as I'd come. And, and they both remarked that, and it is very, very sweet. I was happy because it was the height of intimacy for both of us around that time. It was not like, uh, you know, we had a fight and we have to look like smile to the camera or something. We are just really feeling good about being together. Well, some photographers would just come in and just, okay, let me do it this way. But no, she said, you know, this is what I'm thinking about. What you think, you know, kind of thing. And Joan was very pleased with that. When you're working with somebody who's a very creative artist, and you know when it's good. You just know when it's good. Everything's a process. And what was interesting is that she said she'd take her top off, she didn't take her bottom off. And I said, I'll leave everything on. You know, like, not not really preconceiving seeing the picture or anything. And then, you know, he curled up next to her, and it was very, very strong. Joe made a statement. I'm not afraid to do this. I'm not afraid to show my vulnerability. Because, you know, he could have said no. I mean, that's not uh, John's creative effort. It was Annie's creative effort. But John could have said, no, I'm not doing that, you know. And he was right on there, you know, with her. And said, okay, well, let's do that, you know. And he did not mind showing himself naked, holding on to his woman. And we didn't know that a very heavy weight, fate was waiting for us, you know, only four or five hours later. I left there and I got home, got out of bed, and got a call from John to say that some John's description was taken to his hospital. He died in the emergency room at Rosario. The murder of John Lennon in New York. Dead tonight at the age of 40. You knew that that was the cover. That was it. I mean, the most remarkable image you've ever seen. We went ahead and published cover without a headline. Out. There's nothing except the logo. There's no words that possibly could have said anything. The nature of the image just became sort of an overwhelming artifact, the pieta of our times. Mr. McCartney, hi there, we're with CNN. Can we just get a quick question for you? Uh, yeah. Just give us a sense of why it was important for you to come out here today. Uh, just support the people. Yeah. What, do you hope can, what do you hope can be accomplished? Do you think that can happen at the legislative level? We've seen it happen at the state level in places like Florida and here in New York. You know, I'm like everyone. I don't know. But th this is what we can do. And, uh, so I'm here to do it. Um, one of my best friends was killed in gun violence right around here. So uh, it's important to me. Understood. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you. Appreciate it. You know, you went to see those movies with Elvis or something, when we were still in Liverpool, and you'd see everybody waiting to see him, right? And I'd be waiting there too. And they'd all scream when he came on the screen. So we thought, that's a good job. Oh, I can God make me Elvis. He was saving you for John Lennon. So, even 42 years later, and that was a clip from the Annie Leibovitz documentary, Life Through Lens, because she had taken those final photos. But then later we learned 
really the final photos of John Lennon alive were taken when he autographed. I think it was Bob Groon who had auto, uh, taken a photo of Bob John Lennon autographing Mark David Chapman's copy of Double Fantasy. That's eerie. He gives him the autograph, and then I think maybe four hours later, he comes back, and then he shoots him. And then proceeds to read Catcher in the Rye. So, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a very, it's a very weird thing. And um, and then of course there is another clip. Um, of a, they did a film in two thousand where Aaron uh, Taylor Johnson played John Lennon. Uh, it was very well done. I mean, it was what it was. It was him and Kristen Scott Thomas. She played Mimi, who raised him. The biopic was called Nowhere Boy. And it was really um, John Lennon's early years leading up to also his mother, uh, Julia Lennon's death, which really thrust him into wanting to do music with his friend, Paul McCartney. Or as, or as his aunt referred to him, your little friend is here. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah. In terms of... there, There's a lot of controversy. There's a lot of... There's John Lennon's Lost Weekend, where he basically left Yoko Ono at her insistence and took up another lover, May Pang. And... Um, but at the same time, he was reunited with Ringo Starr and George and Paul and, you know, did fame with David Bowie. So it was, a, it was a very constructive time rather than destructive for John Lennon. And then he got back with Yoko Ono. Uh, I think it was an, at an Elton John concert. They were singing Whatever Gets You Through the Night. went to number one. And then five years later... John Lennon was, I guess, in Bermuda and decided to make another album and started work on Double Fantasy with him and Yoko Ono. And it won, um, well, it won them a posthumous Grammy because it was really, it was the, it was the last album released in his lifetime in October of 1980. And then um, John was murdered. So here, here is what happened 40 years ago. Ingram for just once. Al Jarreau, Jay Graydon producer. Double Fantasy by John Lennon and Yoko Ono. John Lennon, Yoko Ono, and Jack Douglas producer. The Dude, Quincy Jones, Quincy Jones producer. Mistaken Identity, Kim Card, Val Garay, producer. The album of the year is... John Lennon, Yoko Ono.
today. Thank you very much. Okay. Um, both Joan and I were always very proud and happy that we were part of the human race who made good music for the earth and for the universe. Thank you. And so 40 years ago, Double Fantasy won a Grammy for Album of the Year, posthumously. It's very eerie. It's very eerie when those things happen. That happened when Heath Ledger won his Oscar, posthumously, because they're not there to enjoy it. My entire life, the Beatles have been a part of it. My family would sing those songs. My family would play those songs. My father would sing Yellow Submarine to us. Uh, I would sometimes hear him outside working in the garden singing Good Day Sunshine, which is a Beatles song. And then later being told that my father and his brothers would sing Beatles songs in Spanish. So, yeah. it's They've been a part of my uh, entire existence. Not my favorite band, but they're there. They're there. And so, yeah, it's a it's a personal thing. Everyone has a favorite Beatle. Some people like Ringo. Some people like George. Some people like Paul. And some people like John. But the four of them together equated the Beatles. Or as the Rolling Stones called them, the four, the four-headed monster. <laughs> the Beatles made films. And this, of course, is a film and music podcast. And the first film they ever made was A Hard Day's Night. And it was in, it was in the, the ether of Beatlemania. Beatlemania was so hot. It was so in the atmosphere in 1964. And A Hard Day's Night poked fun at it and captured it. Hello. Oh, wait a minute. Don't no, I'm not. Oh, you are. I'm not. Oh, you are. I know you are. I'm not, no. You look just like him. Do I? You're the first one that said that ever. Yes, you do. Look. No, my eyes are lighter. Okay. All right, Noddy. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Your nose is very. Is it? I would have said so. Oh, you know him better, though. I do not. He's only a casual acquaintance. That's what you say. What have you heard? It's all over the place. Is it? Is it really? Mm, but I wouldn't have it. I stuck up for you. I knew I could rely on you. Thanks. You don't look like him at all. She looks more like him than I do. <laughs> that was directed by Richard Lester, who really helped to capitalize. I, I love Hard Day's Night. Talk about a classic. Now look, I've had a marvelous idea. Just for once, let's all try to behave like ordinary respectable citizens. Let's not cause any trouble, pull any strokes, or do anything I'm going to be sorry for. Especially tomorrow in that television theater. Because... Are you listening to me, Lennon? You're a swine. Any George. You're a swine. Thanks. 
mind if we have it open? Yes, I do. Yeah, but there are four of us, and we'd like it open. That's if it's all the same to you, that is. Then I suggest you take that damn thing into the corridor. Or some other part of the train. Where you obviously belong. Give us a kiss. Excuse me, have you seen that little old man we were with? Broken out of the blessed freedom of it all. Have you got a nail file? These handcuffs are killing me. I was playing the innocence. I don't want to go. Sorry for disturbing you, girls. I bet you can't get what I was in for. Good morning, my hair. Can't see knock out tea, Harbin. Kill us. But you said I could. Honestly, my mind boggles at the very idea. A grown man and you haven't shaved with a safety razor. It's not my fault. I come from a long line of electricians. Well, you're not practicing on me. Help me! Headphones! Help me! Come on, John, stop larking about. John. 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 What are you messing around with that boat for? There's a car waiting. Come on. Tell me, uh, how did you find America? Turn left to Greenland. Have you any hobbies? If you think I'm unsuitable, let's have it out in the open. I can't stand these backstage politics. Aren't you turning into black and white the situation somewhat? Well, quite honestly, I wasn't expecting a musical arranger to question my ability picture-wise. I could listen to him for hours. I won an award. A likely story. It's on the wall in my office. Comrade, lads, first order, no messing about. Leonard, put them girls down or I'll tell your mother of you. That, of course, is um, Help from 1964. But they weren't done. Elvis had made movies. Frank Sinatra had made movies. The only difference is Elvis, his sound kind of dwindled after he started making movies. That was his main focus. But the Beatles wanted to do it all. They were known, uh, well, a chagrin to them, as the four British Elvis Presleys. They didn't like that title. In 1965, they made another film, Help. Okay, who let it out? Oh, do you know? We're not going there. We just put it around, we're going there. We're not going there. We just put it round, we're going there. Just so everybody would think we were going there. I'd like to go there. You wouldn't like it. Where are we going then? Never you mind. That's a clip from Help. <laughs> Not much going on. Now, as I said before, in 2009... There, there are very few Beatles biopics. Very few of them. I know in 2000 they did, I think, one for television. 
And, you know, there's been documentaries about the Beatles. Of course, Peter Jackson's documentary. In 2009, no, uh, there was Nowhere Boy, as I was talking about earlier. And here is a clip from Nowhere Boy. And uh, this gentleman would soon go on to be one of the Avengers. Why can God make me all this? He was saving you for John Lennon. Glasses, 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 John! <laughs> Spending you both. Questions? Any chance I can get the magazine back, sir? Don't lie to me, John Lennon! Without me, you would be in a children's home! Just remember that! I found out where your mom lives. She'll hurt you, you know that, don't you? John! Your boyfriend wouldn't be happy now, would he? He's not my boyfriend. What is he then? He's my cousin. But he's going for a quick chat. At the moment, you're going nowhere. There's nowhere for the geniuses, sir. So I probably do belong there. I'm going to start a rock and roll group. You've been picked to be in my band. We don't know how to play. You don't have to know. What's important is I've chosen you. I'm John. Oh. John, your little friend's here. It's my buddy Holly, look. Good. Are we ready to do this, boys? If we're gonna do this, we should write our own stuff. I write stuff. Not songs, more poetry, you know. Got a tune to that and you got a song? Oh, it's a handbag. And is this with the new group? The, oh, what's they called again? The UK. Oh. John Lennon. Born October the 9th, 1940, in Liverpool, died December the 8th, 1980, in New York. And all he was saying was, give peace a chance. On the afternoon of December the 6th, 1980, at about 5.45, we arrived at the Hit Factory Recording Studios, situated on West 48th Street in New York. This was the studio where John and Yoko Lennon had recorded their album, Double Fantasy. The previous day, Yoko had told me, in a meeting that we'd had, that John was just a little apprehensive about the prospect of his first radio interview in over five years. But when I arrived at the studio and finally shook his hand, my apprehension completely disappeared. He was warm, charming, very polite, and seemed absolutely delighted to see us. Before we actually started the tapes rolling, John and I began to get quite engrossed in a conversation about his early recordings at the BBC. He seemed to enjoy remembering the names and the people who'd been involved in those early recording sessions. So, having done that, and having felt that the atmosphere was completely right to start recording, on went the red light. John and Yoko Lennon were both in exceptionally good form. We set the tapes in motion. We come along on Saturday morning, greeting everybody with a smile. <laughs> <laughs> 
John and Yoko, it is more than wonderful to be able to talk to you after a very, very long time. We've been reminiscing just before the tape started rolling. Right. And John, you've been talking about Saturday Club, so the memory is still working. Oh, the memory is very, very good. It gets better when you get older, actually. It gets more clear. You remember those glorious Bernie days? Andrews, and uh, I was just saying, I heard some of the tracks. Somebody must have pirated them, Bernie, in America, you know. I've heard Saturday Club. We did a lot of tracks that were never recorded on record for Saturday Club. All the stuff we've been doing in the cabin or Hamburg. And there was some good stuff then. They were well recorded, too. But the interesting thing is... Three Cool Cats, I think we did. Did you? You've still got them in your collection. I think I picked up a uh, pirate record of it. But I'm not sure, because I buy all the pirate records and file them away. Don't play them, you know, keep them. So they're all in mint condition? Yeah. Don't you use an American accent? No, I don't. No. Anything but. In fact, I'm quite surprised that the man sounds very Liverpudlian, if I may say so. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> what, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? Yeah, okay, let me ask you. We're, John and I are getting into reminiscing there. How much does it's all fine. this mean to you? How much, how much have you learned through your association with John about the days before you met? Well, part of it's gibberish, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> the other part is fascinating, you know. Hmm. I've learned a lot. Oh, no. Yeah, I've just about told her everything. In a decade. Mm -hmm. A lot of history. I would like to refresh people's memories as to how you two actually met in the first place. Well, it's a long story. Yoko had Maybe come... smash. Yeah. Had come to London, or had been invited to London, by some group of artists or something called Destruction in Art Symposium. They had some big thing going on in London. And she had a, an exhibition put on by that gallery, what was it called? John, uh, John, Indica Gallery. Indica Gallery, Marion Faithful's... John Dunbar. John Dunbar, Marion Faithful's ex-husband. Mm -hmm. I used to go down there occasionally. I'd been down to see things like Takis, who'd made these flashing lights and sold them for a fortune, you know, piece of garbage. But they sent me this pamphlet, or he called me, I don't know which, about this Japanese girl from New York was going to be in a bag, you know doing this event or happening. I thought, hmm, you know, sex. <laughs> so I went down, and it was quite funny because I had a chauffeur-driven SS Cooper Mini with black windows. You know, the chauffeur was like eight foot tall, and Mini drives up, a giant guy gets out and opens the door, and I go in, and it's the night before the, the opening. I was in the basement. She was in the basement. I, there was nobody there. I was thinking, oh, Just in the basement, not in the back. No, no, she wasn't in the back, so I go in. I was just preparing, you know, it was before right. the opening. It was, you know, like a few nails on a stand and an apple on a stand, cosmic. <laughs> and uh, just these strange-looking objects just looked like found objects that had been painted white with little messages written on them. John Dunbar's sort of showing me around. I'm looking, thinking, what? How much is that, you know? A hundred pounds for a bag of nails? Are you kidding? Mm -hmm. How much is the apple? Two hundred pounds. Fresh said, apple. Oh, fresh. Thanks yeah, a lot. Right. Two hundred pounds for a fresh apple. I said, I thought this is a con. What the hell is this? You know. I go downstairs and there's a few sort of. There must have been assistants, but I thought there was a, a minimal audience lying around on the floor. Anyway, but Dunbar's trying to hustle a bit because he thinks the millionaire Beatles coming to buy. You know. So he introduces me to this strange-looking Japanese woman. Nothing's happening in the bags. I'm expecting an orgy. <laughs> in a bag, something's going to be happening in a bag, you know, psychedelic. And it's all quiet. And he introduces me to her. And I said, well, where's the sort of happening, the event? And she gives me a little card. And it just says, breathe on it. So I said, you mean like that? She says, yeah, that's it. So I'm looking for action, you know, and I see this thing called hammer and nail in. It's a board with a chain and a hammer hanging on it and a bunch of nails at the bottom. I said, well, can I hammer a nail in? She says, no. So John Dunbar whisks her away. I said, this was before the opening, you know. Yeah. I didn't want anybody to touch anything. 
Right. So he takes him the call and says, that's a millionaire. Well, you know who that is? He didn't know who I was. He didn't explain anything. He was just sort of trying to content, you know, with his eyes. Or whatever. She came over and said, you can have a one in for five shillings. I said, I'll give you an imaginary five shillings and have an imaginary nail in, all right? And that's when we fell. Da, 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 da. It was as easy as that, wasn't Well, it? but it took 18 months, two years before we really got together. Do you remember what sort of frame of mind you were in in those days, John? Were you a happy man musically? Were you satisfied with life? What year was it, 66? 66. Well, you'd have to tell me what the Beatles up. had out then, and I'll tell you what mood I was in, because I, I only remember things by what tracks were out. It's just that going on record, you'd said at that time, after you'd done, I think I'm right in saying the film How I Won the War, you've said in the press recently that yeah. at that stage you actually genuinely wanted out from the Beatles. The pressure was all too much. Well, it, it wasn't so much the pressure, it was the that. boredom, you know. After the Beatles' last tour, which was 65, I think, with the, the one where the Ku Klux Klan were burning Beatle records and I was held up as a Satanist or something, then we decided no more touring, that's enough of that. I'm going to put up with it. And I was dead nervous, so I, I said yes to Dick Lester that I would make this movie with him. I went to Almeria, Spain for six weeks just to, because I didn't know what to do. You know, I, what do you do when you don't tour? There's no life. Because I've been on the road. For... And that meant a lot to you, didn't it? Well, it wasn't that I wanted to tour so much, but I didn't know what to do. What, what the hell do you do all day? You know. That is John Lennon's final interview, final radio interview. From Radio 1, December 6, 1980. And so 42 years ago, 42 years later, sorry, I'm tired. Long day. But 42 years later, we still talk about it. And we still, it's a remembrance. It's a day of remembrance. Where we talk about the life of the Beatles. And all four of them. And now it's just two. Now it's just Ringo and Paul. George died in 2001. John died in 1980. So that's the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast, really, is urging you to go watch A Hard Day's Night and Help and Yellow Submarine and Magical Mystery Tour. And listen to the songs of the Beatles. Whether they're your cup of tea or whether you are upset when John Lennon said, we're bigger than Jesus. Well... At that time, they were. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he wasn't being blasphemous. He was just stating a fact. And John really got the Beatles in trouble. And so then it's like, okay, let's bring Paul in to kind of smoothen things out. But there is no doubt about it that those harmonies, those two voices, that Lennon-McCartney songwriting, publishing was a very, not just lucrative, but a beautiful friendship right there on display. And I will end tonight saying how when John and Paul were writing A Day in the Life and they wrote that line, I'd love to turn you on. And they looked at each other and laughed because here they were as songwriters writing these songs that were interweaving and, um, also, their voices. I, I want to go back to help. I can't play it because Yoko Ono will come after me for copyright. But whenever you hear something like help or a hard day's night or I want to hold your hand, you hear those voices just blend so beautifully. That's why they were so magical. 
that's why they mattered. Um, I love what uh, Al Green, Al Green said it once in a documentary about the Beatles. He says, oh, I hear that infectious sound, those four-part harmonies, because the Beatles wanted to sound like the Everly Brothers. And there were four of them, four of them singing those beautiful harmonies. And so I figured, you know, rather than do a solemn podcast, which I could about John Lennon, I thought, let's just talk about, of course, what happened on December 8th, 1980. And now my voice is starting to go. Um, But what happened and then the music, the films, the uh, legendary status right there, because when you are cut down. At just 40 years old, you are forever frozen in time. And that's where the legend of the Beatles really started. It was on December 8th, 1980. Because then it was like the Beatles were done forever. There was no reunion. The three of them eventually did get back together. Recorded Free as a Bird. But in terms of all four of them, that wouldn't ever happen. <sighs> yeah. It's a it's a big sigh. So, happy Friday. As always, unpleasant dreams. <laughs>